Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Good morning, my name is Angel Fall, and you have just tuned in to Victims to Victorious. We broadcast on the Black Talk Radio Network, and I want to thank my sound engineer and founder of the Black Talk Radio Network, Scotty Reed. Today we are taking a look at um, some famous incidents with guns. I'm calling the show Assassinations and Anniversaries. Depending on the time, we'll talk about a couple of infamous events uh, that involve famous people and I'm also saying infamous events. If you've never listened to us before here here on Victims to Victorious, what we do is we are listening to hear, the audience is listening to hear practical solutions to the epidemic of gun violence. If you follow me on Twitter, I am On Air Angel, and today's show is Assassinations and Anniversaries. And because January 20th is the federal holiday that is um, in honor of Martin Luther King Jr., I want to look at his assassination because an assassin- assassination is a it's a murder for hire, a murder for ideology, etc. And it does fit into the theme of the program. I also want to, if time allows, revisit what happened in Sandy Hook. We are broadcasting from Connecticut this time. So if you are in New England, uh, there are lots of Martin Luther King events. Martin Luther King, of course, has ties to New England, uh, like going to graduate school in Massachusetts. And um, I actually attended an event um, in Hartford, Connecticut a while back where Andrew Young talked about Martin Luther King working in a tobacco field here in Connecticut. Southern states are not alone in sharecropping, or at least some version of it. Um, tobacco was sharecropped, and migrant labor was in fact used to pick tobacco in the state of Connecticut. So if you are in the New England area, specifically Connecticut, of course, states are very close together, and you want to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. There are several events. I'm just going to mention two right now. January 21st, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., the Wadsworth Anthenium. And you can go to their website, thewadsworth.org. And that's on 600 Main Street in Hartford. That's actually the first public museum. It's reputed to be the first public museum in America. Previous to that, other museums took the British model, where only paying members could go. It's kind of like a good old boys club of places these um, young young rich men had gone 
uh, shot game, pilfered shrines, etc., and brought the items back. And, of course, many countries are asking for some of these items back. But the Wadsworth, and they would pay money with a membership, but the Wadsworth Antonium also is associated with the Abolitionist Society here in Connecticut. The other event I want to mention, another nonprofit event, event is being held at realartways.org. And they're going to show a movie, The Legacy of Rosa Parks, at 11 a.m. And you can visit their website too, realartways.org. There isn't supposed to be a charge for for that film. So in discussing the assassination of Martin Luther King on his birthday, I am looking at an article. For those of you who are online with me, um, the website is called warisboring.com. And the article is The Gun That Killed Martin Luther King Jr., with the Remington Model 760, um, that's answered a simple, simple question. But I want to go into the narrative because one of the paradigms of radio is we don't assume everyone knows everything. And certainly, um, if you weren't alive during this event of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., you may only know things based on that little clip of I Have a Dream. A lot of people think that's the only speech he gave, but actually... He gave thousands of speeches in his lifetime. At 6 p.m. on April 4, 1968, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. stepped onto the balcony outside his room at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. Seconds later, a single 30.06 round mortality wounded the 39-year-old civil rights leader. King had arrived at the motel on March 29th. He was in Memphis to show his support for striking black public work employees. That's what the article said. Um, many people maintain that um, once King starts organ becomes more dangerous because then that involves empowering whole groups of people who have been mistreated by their employers and that does not uh, it's not exclusive to black people. Planning to attend a meeting, I'll start that paragraph again, King had arrived at the motel on March 29th. He was in Memphis to show his support for striking black public works employees. Planning to attend a meeting on the evening of April 4th, he stepped out onto the balcony outside of room 306. Anyone notice the irony of the, the type of rifle, a 3006 round motel, uh, round that shot the name of the round, and then the number of the hotel. That's where I was going with that. James O. Ray had positioned himself in the second floor bathroom of a boarding house across the street from the motel. He was armed with a Remington Model 760 Game Master, a pump-action hunting rifle chambered in a 3006 and outfitted with a 2x7 scope. After serving in the Army during World War II, Ray turned to petty crime in the late 1940s. In 1966, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for armed robbery, but he escaped in 1967. In 1967, the racist Ray volunteered for George Wallace's segregationist presidential campaign. I think it's interesting that the article points out that James O. Ray was a racist. Uh, if you read Cornell West, for instance, in... Um, Randall Robinson, they make cases for uh, the fact that white people who participate in institutional racism and benefit from them from it are, in fact, racist. There's also a book called What's Wrong with White People, 
and he also discusses white privilege. So um, it's interesting when white people point out uh, racist and uh, all of them benefit from the racist institutions. At the beginning of 68, he traveled to Birmingham, Alabama, where he purchased the Model 760 Game Master, the scope and box of 20 rounds from the Aeromain Supply Company. After reading of King's visit, Ray traveled there in on April 2nd. Ray's fatal shot struck King in his right cheek, breaking his jaw and traveling through several vertebrae as it continued downward through his spinal cord. It severed his jugular vein and a major artery before lodging in his shoulder. King collapsed and he was rushed to, to St. Joseph Hospital where despite doctors' best efforts, he was pronounced dead at 7.05 p.m. Across the country, Americans poured out into the streets in anguish and anger. And of course, there are people who are conspiracists, is that how I'm supposed to say? People who follow conspiratory theories believe that, uh, you know, what happened to King in the hospital um, may be that he wasn't given the proper medical care and that the powers that be may have um, facilitated his death. Ray stashed the rifle. Police later recovered the weapon and found Ray's prints on it. The killer fled to Ontario and in June flew to London on a false passport. He was allegedly, uh, he allegedly was hoping to travel on to Rhodesia. He was ex extradited back to Tennessee and almost a, almost a year after the assassination, he confessed. A judge sentenced Ray to a 99-year prison sentence and he died of hepatitis C in 1998. King was laid to rest on April 9th. A third of a million mourners joined a three-mile procession. Today, the Lorraine Motel, where King died, is a National Civil Rights Museum. So that's an article to introduce you to, to introduce you to the background of the King assassination. And one of the things that that um, we can point out here, if you've been following gun violence and um, and following gun violence in general, and my show in particular, Rescue to Victorious, we notice that people who have com been committed, who have been convicted of violent acts, are more likely when they own or use a gun to commit a violent act. So a lot of the um, epidemi epidemiologists and sociologists say that um, past violence produces um that past violence produces um, predictable violence that then culminates into a violent act. So now we're going to move on because the show is called Assassinations and Anniversaries. We're taking a look at an anniversary of uh, the Newtown shooting. I realize that it happened in December, the anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting. But I am um, tying it into the, to, to today's theme because the secondary title was Famous People and Infamous Events. And of course, one of the unfortunate things that happens to people who commit these crimes is that they themselves become famous. So that's why we're choosing the word infamous. I know um, when you watch CNN, um, sometimes Anderson Cooper, for instance, declines to, to name the person who has committed the mass shooting. So I'm going to look at the Newtown shooting 
And because I personally was living in New England and uh, substitute teaching in various schools, and uh, because the one half black, half Puerto Rican girl was eulogized at my church, I am connected to it. And I have noticed that it's not as raw for people who live outside of New England. Newtown, Connecticut. Uh, this article was written in December, uh, seven years after the event, and it comes from actually the Newtown, excuse me, the article is actually written in Community Corner, thepatch.com, which is a, um, a newspaper in Connecticut, patch.com. Newtown, Connecticut. Seven years have passed since December 14, 2012, a day, when, a day which changed Newtown forever and shocked the nation with an inexplicable act of violence that claimed the lives of 20 young children and six educators. And when I've spoken about Newtown, Newtown before, um, this is me um, providing a comment, I've noticed that in the count of the people actually killed, Adam Lanza is usually left out, and sometimes his mother is left out. The students who were six or seven years old at the time would have been teenagers today. I'm going to read that again. The students who were six or seven years old at the time would have been teenagers today. The victims of the attack will never be forgotten. Many parents and other loved ones have worked to honor the memory of victims through a number of foundations and other charitable organizations. Throughout the years, many of the family members have been targeted by conspiracy theorists. Now, there is the correct phrasing that I was attempting. Conspiracy theorists who say the shooting was a hoax. Harassments have gone as far as death threats for some. Some organizations like the Sandy Hook Promise focus on reducing gun-related deaths. Unfortunately, the problem with gun violence in the U.S. hasn't gotten better since 2012. There have been 394 mass shootings and 30 mass gun murders in 2019 as of the writing of the article, which was December 13th, according to the Gun Violence Archive. So if you are listening to me or following me on Twitter, I have used the Gun Violence Archive as a reference, and you can follow the Sandy Hook Promise on Twitter. Um, below are the stories of 26 victims from the Sandy Hook shooting. So I'm going to read some of the victims because, unfortunately, it's an irony of their death that we get to hear more about them because they died so untimely. Olivia Angel Six. Olivia Angel was, was fond of animals, dancing, and her little brother, Braden Angel, who she helped potty train by giving him stickers. Olivia was born in Danbury Hospital on July 18, 2006, to parents Shannon and Brian Angel. She took part in dance and tennis lessons and played soccer, enjoyed swimming, swimming, and also liked to draw paint in art classes. She developed an affinity for math, reading, and other subjects. She took part in her church programs, and she can be described as being smart, bubbly, and able to light up a room, any room she walked in. So what this article does, it looks at some of the legacies left from the gun violence by the parents in honor of their children. Her family has chosen the Park and Bark Project as a designated donation site. 
Daniel Barden, age seven, will be remembered as a boy who was mature for his age and regarded as an old soul. I know a lot of African-American people use that expression. Beauty, I've heard it before. It refers to a young child who seems um, older and wiser than their age. He went out of his way to make other kids feel accepted, especially children who sat alone, according to his biography on what would Daniel do, the official site in memory of him. The Daniel Barden Highland Mud Fest was started in his honor and proceeds benefits charities, inclu- charities including the Sandy Hook Promise. Again, you can follow Sandy Hook Promise on Twitter. And um, my name on Twitter is On Air Angel. I'm not going to read all 26 children. May they rest in peace. I'm going to read enough for you to understand uh, that this violence was preventable and how young the victims were. They really didn't have a chance uh, faced with the weaponry and the intent of the murderer, Adam Lanza. James Mattioli, six, was a fan of many sports, including baseball, basketball, swimming, and arm wrestling. He would wear t-shirts and shorts in all types of weather and like to sing at the top of his lungs. James also enjoyed spending time with his family. Um, he would spend the end of the day with his mom, cuddling on the couch, and would take walks and do yard work with his dad. One of the adult uh, victims, Anna Marie Murphy, was hailed as a hero after she attempted to shield a student during the attack. Cardinal Timothy Dolan, Archbishop of New York, celebrated, celebrated the mass of Christian burial. He compared um, Murphy to Jesus because she selflessly gave her life in order to save others. Of course, that would be controversial. But one of the things I wanted to see about reading Annie's a little blurb, blurb is that it mentions that she was eulogized in New York. So Danbury acts as a suburb of New York, um, right here in Connecticut, where we're broadcasting today. One victim, Jessica Rakos, her family has started the Jessica Rakos Foundation, and it was formed to continue her love of horses and whales. And of course, by Connecticut being on the Atlantic Ocean, there is um, there used to be a whaling industry. Um, I know that my grandfather participated um, in some of the uh, illegal whaling ships as a very young person. They often took people who are not full-fledged adults. Mary Sherlock, 56, was the Sandy Hook Elementary School psychologist. She is known to have confronted the shooter in the doorway. The name of her fun is Mary's fun. And because she was a school psychologist, uh, the American Psychological Association um, can also help you uh, find out how to um, prevent gun violence. So those are the names of some of the victims. We might we might return to discussing them. Um, I often have said that I um, attended the church where one of the young girls was eulogized, and I'm going to uh, read her little blurb. We are about 31 minutes into the show. At 7.30, we will take a station ID. You are listening to Victims to Victorious. If you ever miss a live broadcast, of course, you can go to the Black Talk Radio Network. Click on the button that says V2V, and you can listen, download, and leave a comment. Anna Marquise Green, age 6, will be remembered as a true lover of song and dance. She liked to dance to any kind of music, 
and her father, Jimmy Green, is a renowned jazz saxophonist. And I have heard him play at my uh, at the church I was attending here in Connecticut. And he's made several appearances since his um, daughter had been murdered in the Sandy Hook event. He described, a saxophonist Jim Green described her da- his daughter as a lover of music and that her mode of transportation was dance. She liked to sing and dance as acts of worship. The Anna Grace Project is a program of the Klingberg Family Center's nonprofit. The center helps children and families who have been affected by trauma. A toy, clothing, and food drive was held in her honor recently at Central Connecticut State University. She also has a park um, in Hartford, Connecticut. And as you heard me say earlier, there is a park project where parks are named for some of the children who were victimized by Adam Lanza. So that refers to a mass shooting uh, that occurred in December, on December 14, 2012, in Newtown, Connecticut, which um, is near Danbury, Connecticut, in the Fairfield County area. And if you watch a lot of sitcoms and television, you'll see um, the people in the show catching the train into um, into Connecticut for their um, suburban home, or maybe they have a country home out here. So one of the uh, things I also want to talk about on assassinations and anniversaries, of course, is the assassination of John Lennon. And some people, um, it's interesting, some people don't believe that unless you have a certain level of notoriety, of course, assassination is defined that way. But some celebrities that we might use the word for, uh, some people balk, is that the word I'm trying to say? They balk at the way, uh, the the use of the word for some people whose fame they're actually disputing. And what puts me in mind that is um, when Tupac and Biggie got shot, um, the comedian Chris Rock, who of course doesn't shy away from con- uh, controversy, he simply says, that Tupac and Biggie were not assassinated, uh, they just got shot. So I'm going to take a look at John Lennon's assassination. The murder of John Lennon, Lennon occurred on the evening of um, December 8th, 1980. And one of the things, I don't know if the article is going to say, but, but John Lennon himself had become obsessed with various other celebrities and famous people's assassinations. So, um, on the evening of December 8, 1980, English musician John Lennon, formerly of the Beater, Beatles, was fatally shot in the archway of the Dakota, which was his residence in New York City. This is um, from Wikipedia. The other articles are different sources. The perpetrator was Mark David Chapman, a recently unemployed resident of Hawaii. Chapman stated that he was incensed by Lennon's lifestyle and public statements, especially his much-publicized remarks about the beating, Beatles being more popular than Jesus and the lyrics of his later song, God and Imagine. Chapman also said he was inspired by the fictional character Holden Caulfield from J.D. Salinger's novel The Catcher in the Rye. Chapman planned the killing over the course of several months and waited for Lennon at the Dakota on the morning of, of December 8th. 
During the evening, he met Lennon, who signed his copy of the just-released album, Double Fantasy. Lennon then left with wife Yoko Ono for a recording session at Record Plant Studio. Later that night, the couple returned to the Dakota as they walked towards the archway entrance of the building. Chapman fired five hollow point bullets from a 38 special revolver, four of which hit Lennon in the back. Chapman remained at the scene until he was arrested by the police. Lennon was rushed in a police cruiser to Roosevelt Hospital, where he was pronounced dead on arrival. Now, one of the things I want to mention, uh, a couple of things, Chapman's mental state, of course, was disputed, how much of a mental illness um, diagnosis he had. And current research says that most mentally ill people who've been diagnosed are actually um, not uh, violent. But, of course, uh, we can see that Chapman wasn't one of those. And I want to talk about the caliber of the weapons. These were hollow point bullets that he used. So what is a hollow point bullet? Some of the listeners might ask. Um, A hollow point bullet is an expanding bullet. It's used for control penetration. Again, I hit hit the links for Wikipedia. If um, you're not used to doing research, Wikipedia is a good way to start. But of course, there are far more um, uh, what we call peer-reviewed database sites where you can find more academic evidence. But for the purpose of this show, a hollow point bullet is an expanding bullet. It is used for controlled penetration where over-penetration could cause collateral damage uh, such as aboard an aircraft. In target shooting, they are used for greater accuracy due to the larger metplat. Although the appointed bullet has a higher ballistic coefficient which is the acronym BC, it is also more sensitive to bullet harmonic characteristics and wind deflection, thus making hollow point bullets consistently more accurate and predictable. So when we say consistently, when the article says consistently more accurate and predictable, of course, they would be the choice of an assassin who is to make sure he kills the person. It's a very close upfront personal shot. And remember, Mr. Chapman had gotten close enough to John Lennon before to sign an autograph and people took pictures. So we can see that uh, he had his, we can see that he had intent in mind. So what I want to do we're about 30 minutes into the show. I want to remind the listeners that you are listening to Victims to Victorious. My name is Angel Fall, and the title of the t- today's show is Assassinations and Anniversaries. Look at famous people and infamous events. And unfortunately, um, in the killings and the shootings, a lot of people who had not become household names do in fact become household names through their death or the murdering of others. So I'll step back for a minute and uh, we will get the station ID from the Black Talk Radio Network. Hi, 
The Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Okay, we're back. Uh, we have about 28 more minutes to go. My name is Angel Fawn. You're listening to Victims to Victorious. Follow me on Twitter at On Air Angel. So what we're doing today is we're taking a look at some assassinations and some anniversaries. And, of course, the weapon of choice that um, dominates our discussion is guns. And we've discussed some of the, the gun types, the gun uh, bullets. And now we're going to take a look at presidential assassination attempts and plots. Four sitting presidents have been killed in the history of the United States. Abraham Lincoln, James Garfield, William McKinley, and of course John F. Kennedy. Some of the listeners might have been alive, of course, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And there have been attempts. But let's take a look at some of the background because I like to do that for you and what has really what has really occurred. And this is the idea of your president being shot by a person who has a different political agenda, by someone who's angry at the election, by someone who's mentally ill. Will that motivate you to take a look and, and mobilize against gun violence? One thing I didn't know when I was discussing Sandy Hook is the Sandy Hook promised people were able to get things changed in Connecticut concerning the amount of ammunition owned. And so that they looked very carefully at assault rifles and the type of bullets and the type of clips and magazines. And they got the law changed to prohibit the ownership of most of those. But most, most people in the country are living in states that have not been proactive, even if they have had these types of um, mass shootings in their state. So we're going to take a look at um, one of the more famous politicized assassinations first, and that's the assassina- assassination of Abraham Lincoln. If you're on Wikipedia, on your computer, you can follow me. Uh, the assassination of the United States President Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln sorry, took place on Good Friday, April 14, 1865 at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., you've never been to Washington, D.C., you can still visit the theater. It's still there. The assassin, John Wilkes Booth, sorry, John Wilkes Booth was a well-known actor and a Confederate sympathizer from Maryland. Remember that during the Civil War, there are, um, D.C. is in the middle of Confederate sympathizers because D.C. borders Maryland and Virginia. In 1864, Booth planned 
formulated a plan to kidnap Lincoln in exchange for the release of Confederate prisoners. Uh, those of you might not remember, but that's the proper word for the um, soldiers from the South. A lot of us who are up north, we still use the word rebel. But um, when you're writing or doing your research, it should say Confederate prisoners or Confederate soldiers. After attending an April 11, 1865 speech in which Lincoln promoted voting rights for blacks, Booth decided to assassinate the president. Learning that the president would be attending Ford's theater, Booth formulated a plan with co-conspirators to assassinate Lincoln at the theater, as well as Vice President Andrew Johnson and Secretary of State William H. Seward in their homes. Lincoln attended the play Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater. As the president sat as the president sat in his state box in the balcony, watching the play with his wife Mary Todd and two guests, Major Henry Rathbone and his fiancee Clara Harris Booth entered from behind, and he aimed a 44 caliber Derringer pistol at the back of Lincoln's head. He fired, mortally wounding him, and Rathbone momentarily grabbed with, grappled with Booth, but Booth stabbed him and escaped. Now, this article doesn't say it, but um, most by most accounts, Booth jumped over the balcony to it to escape the theater. An unconscious Lincoln was taken across the street to the Peterson house. After remaining in a coma for nine hours, Lincoln died at 7.22 a.m. on April 15th. And notice that um, the, the weapon of choice for Booth was a handgun, a 44 caliber, caliber Derringer pistol. And part of what I do on the show is educate you about um, the weapons that are used, so that you can say, you know, do we really need, do we really need um, those kind of weapons? What are they used for? And of course, um, if you are a gun owner, you might you might feel differently about. You know, obviously you do feel differently about the right to own it. And I'm saying what I'm trying to say here is um, just because an assassin used a gun doesn't necessarily demonize the gun. I think most of us can can agree that the assault weapons definitely are unnecessary uh, in modern society, inside of a city, etc. But some of you who want to use your guns for protection uh, would, well, you know, would argue, could argue differently. The term derringer, derringer has come to refer to any small size handgun that is neither a revolver nor a semi-automatic pistol. Again, this is from Wikipedia. It's not to be confused with many revolvers or pocket pistols. Although some later Derringers were manufactured with the pepper box configuration, the original Philadelphia Derringer was a single-shot, muzzle-loading percussion cap pistol introduced in 1852 by Henry Derringer. In total, approximately 15,000 Derringer pistols were manufactured. All were single-barrel pistols with back-action percussion locks, typically calibered with rifle bores and walnut stocks. Barrel lengths varied from 1.5 and a half inches to 6 inches. The term Derringer has become a genericized misspelling of the inventor's last name. So it is a, it's also a collector, a collector's item, 
in both the Remington and the Philadelphia. Uh, the Remington has a brand. I'm just. I'm trying to say it's been manufactured both by um, the Remington company and the original. Um, the original manufacturer, only Derringer. So if you just tuned in, we're a little bit past the hour. When the title of the day shows assassinations and anniversaries. And we were discussing the assassination of President Lincoln. And four sitting presidents have been um, have been assassinated in the United States of America. And of course, the next most famous one I'm going to skip to is the assassination of JFK and the gun used to kill JFK. And I, at the beginning of this segment, I said you know, some of you might have been alive when JFK was assassinated because it was 1963. He died November 22nd, 1963. And because this is my first show of 2020, I am trying to give it a retrospective analysis by looking at the various um, famous murders throughout history and what guns were used. So uh, because I know people have varying degrees of uh, research skills and access, the best thing to do for some of this is to look at Wikipedia because it's so easy to find. And you can follow me at the Assassination of John F. Kennedy article. And if you are following me, anytime you click on a blue highlighted statement or word within the Wikipedia article, you get another link. And if you go all the way to the bottom of Wikipedia, you can find different stages or different types of reference articles. And of course, if you are listening to Victims to Victorious to do something for your college uh, papers, you need to use databases that have academic peer-reviewed articles. So let's talk a little bit about the JFK assassination. John F. Kennedy was 35th president of the United States and was assassinated on November 22nd, 1963 at 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time in Dallas, Texas, while riding in a presidential motorcade through Dealey Plaza. I have been fortunate, fortunate enough to see Dealey Plaza and the um, book depository where most people believe Lee Harvey Oswald set up um, his site. Kennedy was riding with his wife Jacqueline and Texas Governor John Connolly and Connolly's wife Nellie when he was fatally shot by former U.S. Marine Lee Harvey Oswald, firing in an ambush from a nearby building. And that book is called The um, Depository. Maybe the article will take a look at it. But it was a book depository. And so that's how he was hidden, and that's how um, he caught sight. And it was a warehouse-type building. That's why there it wasn't guarded properly in retrospect. Governor Connolly was seriously wounded in the attack. And that's another thing that we talk about with gun violence. Not just that people are killed, but people uh, sustain mortal injuries and their lives are never the same because the bullets pierce tissue and spinal cord. And of course, there's a mental health piece. Um, back then when Kennedy was shot, people didn't use the word uh, P P T D PTSD. They used a different term called shell shock. Returning to the article, um, he was killed in Dewey, 
Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas, and Oswald was arrested by the Dallas Police Department 70 minutes after the initial shooting. Oswald was charged under Texas state law with the murder of Kennedy, as well as that of Dallas policeman J.D. Tippett, who had been fatally shot in a short time after the assassination. At 11.21 a.m. on November 24, 1963, as live television cameras were covering his transfer from the city jail to the county jail, Oswald was fatally shot in the basement of the Dallas police headquarters by the nightclub owner Jack Ruby. Oswald was taken to Parkland Memorial, where he soon died. Ruby was convicted of Oswald's murder, though it was later overturned in an appeal. Ruby died in prison in 1967 while waiting a 10-month investigation. The Warren Commission concluded that Oswald assassinated Kennedy and that Oswald had acted entirely alone and that Ruby had acted alone in killing Oswald. Kennedy was the eighth and most recent U.S. president to die in office. At the top of the segment, I talked about who was shot and killed in office versus who died in office. And the fourth president following Lincoln, who we discussed earlier, Garfield and McKennedy, uh, to be assassinated. Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson automatically assumed the presidency upon Kennedy's death. So um, I want to talk about a little bit about um, the weapon used, but let's take a look at some of the conspiracy theories because I mentioned that early. Earlier, Many conspiracy theories posit that the assassination involved people or organizations in addition to Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, what's important about that is when Lincoln is assassinated, John Wilkes Booth appears to be uh, a lone gunman. But later on, uh, four people are executed for killing Abraham Lincoln, including a woman. Uh, they are all hanged by the federal government. So going back to um, the Warren Commission, many many conspiracy theorists posit that the assassination involved people or organizations in addition to Lee Harvey Oswald. Most current theories put forth a criminal conspiracy involving parties as varied as the FBI, the CIA, CIA the U.S. military, the mafia, the KGB, etc. Now, I just want to mention those theories because it, it is radio and um, this is social media, and people can weigh in on this on these types of things. But usually in, in the historic context of changing the political climate, presidents and other officials around the world, when they are assassinated, it's, very, it's pretty easy to prove um, that there has been a group of people who have an agenda, who want the death of the um, person who they're targeting, the president, the uh, prime minister, etc., they want his death to change the political climate. We have less than 14 minutes to go. If you are listening to Victims Too Victorious, you can always leave a comment on blacktalkradionetwork.com. So the, the weapon used by Lee Harvey Oswald for, um, is called a... And I might have to have some help with that. It is a Heidel purchased by mail order, a 6.5 times 52 millimeter Carcano model 9138 infantry rifle. 
described by the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy as, as a man licker, Karn Kano, with a telescope sight. Oswald also purchased a revolver from a different company by the same method. I want the listeners to realize that I said he ordered in the mail, and of course we know that um, other other mass murderers have also still, after all this time, been able to order weaponry in the mail. Oswald fired the rifle from the Texas School Book Depository in Dallas, Texas, and that was the uh, that full name of where I said. The, uh, the shooter shut up. Su- su- shooter, that's a tongue twister. The shooter set up his strike, his uh, sight. The Oswald rifle, rifle is an Italian Fucilli de Fontera, model 9138, and was manufactured by the Royal Arms Company. The stamp of the Royal Crown and terming identifies this manufacturing site. Its serial number identified it as a single weapon of its type made with that number. The so-called Model 91 bolt-action rifle had been introduced in 1891 by Salvatore Carcano for the Turin Army Arsenal. After 1895, the Modelo 91 was used as an in-block ammunition clip, similar but uh, not identical to the Australian Monlicker. And, of course, you can correct my pronunciation. So this is one of the things the listeners should also notice, that some of these weapons were originally designed, you know, more than 100 years ago. And here they are, this particular type, being involved in a modern-day, and I say modern because I'm saying 1963 is modern times, an an assassination of a U.S. president who had Secret Service agents. So a little more history on the gun. On October 9, 1962, Lee Harvey Oswald rented a post office box number 2915 in Dallas, Texas. On January 27, 1963, Oswald ordered a Smith & Wesson Victory Model 38 Special from Seaport Traders of Los Angeles using the name J. Heidel and his post office box address. It was shipped to him COD by rail on March 20th, and the article goes on and on and talks about how he got these guns. Of course, COD um, is very rare now. That means cash on delivery, and Oswald was able to pay that way. And if you go to Wikipedia, you see pictures of Oswald handling his rifles. Um, I've always wondered who took those pictures. And you can also look at a newspaper article that shows the the various rifles being advertised for sale and that you can get them through the mail. So one of the places Oswald frequented was Klein Sporting Goods that um, shipped the um, Carcano model to him, and that's the one that he used to assassinate President Kennedy. So Lee Harvey Oswald, of course, um, he's killed by Jack Ruby um, on his way when they're transferring him uh, to another jail. And Jack Ruby used a handgun to kill Oswald. I'm not sure what gun um, was used to by Oswald to kill the policeman in Dallas. Um, but we know that that was the rifle used to kill John F. Kennedy. 
So if you just tuned in, we only have about eight minutes to go. The title of today's show was Assassinations and Anniversaries. And we're taking a look at some famous events, assassinations, for instance. We took a look at the Sandy Hook shooting because we were, uh, were broadcasting today from the state of Connecticut. More about Jack Ruby at 20... At 12.20 p.m. in the basement of the Dallas Police Station, Lee Harvey Oswald, the alleged assassination, uh, assassin of JFK, and this is from the day in history, was shot by Jack Ruby, a nightclub owner. Now, when this occurred, of course, some people felt that he should be exalted as a hero. Um, and this is why his case is litigated. In October 1966, the Texas Court of Appeals reversed the decision on the grounds of improper admission of testimony and the fact that Ruby could not have ever received a fair trial in, in Texas. So, um, I know if you can, if you're listening to me, you can also take a look at some of the film, um, where you can see the actual shooting of, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, Lee Harvey Oswald by Jack Ruby, who is using a handgun. It's also interesting that Oswald purchased a handgun. Of course, we know that he never got close enough to the president to shoot him. However, when we talked about John Lennon, his killer, uh, Mr. Chapman, used a handgun to kill John Lennon. So I want to give a little more commentary here about public health prevention. And of course, one of um, one of the things that we know from these infamous killers is many of them want to be on TV. And we also know that several of the killers that we mentioned had some kind of mental health defect. We talked about in previous shows um, the number of people who have mental health issues who should be prohibited from getting a gun and why this is important. So obviously um, in... In 1963, there wasn't a type of database like the ones that we have now. We didn't have the type of gun control we have. But in 1963, for instance, when um, Jack Ruby and Lee Harvey, Harvey Oswald and JFK were alive, they um, they are not the gun purchasing is not subject to this type of scrutiny. You are ordering guns in the mail in 1963, and you're also ordering guns in the mail recent, you can still do it now. The UPS driver can deliver you a handgun. So some people who want public health controls, they want the purchase of, um, they want the purchase of guns in the mail to be prohibited. States like what? Well, D.C. is not a state, but other states have asked that at gun shows, the private owners run the background check, background checks when they sell to uh, individuals. Even very few states are on board are on board with that. But a clearinghouse that is more effective is something that the gun advocates are um, are advocating for because certainly, for instance. Several of the recent mass shooters who slipped through the who slipped through the cracks, like Dylan Roof in South Carolina, they would not have been able to um, to purchase rifles. So the the intersection of mental health and uh, assassination is best illustrated 
by the assassination attempt of Ronald Reagan in 1988 on March 30th. I happened to be living in D.C. at the time, and I remember that they interrupted television. I was going to Howard University. So one of the things, excuse me, that came out of that is that gun advocates said that James Brady would not have gotten the, um, I'm sorry, I said James Brady, John Hinckley would not have gotten a gun had there been mental health background checks. So uh, John Hinckley, if you don't remember, is the American man who on March 30th, 1981, attempted to assassinate uh, Ronald Reagan. And remember he was obsessed with, um, he was obsessed with Jody, what's her name? Jody Foster. So he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and this is on Wikipedia, but he, and he remained under institutional psychiatric care until September 2016. And out of that does come the Brady Bill because um, the, um, let's see, Brady secretary, was a, he was a secretary. Press Secretary James Brady was permanently disabled in the shooting. And that's something we mentioned earlier. Ronald Reagan is shot. And he recovers very well. But the secretary, the press secretary, is shot and he's permanently disabled. So hundreds of thousands of people in America are disabled through these violent acts. So you do live through it, but you can't walk anymore. You have trouble talking. You're in, your um, organs are damaged, etc. So the Brady Bill came out of this intersection of mental health and assassination. And the fact, it was very upsetting to some people uh, when this occurred that uh, he wasn't found guilty because the insanity defense was used. But since then, and this is, not, I'm not looking at Wikipedia, since then I do know that um, the way that mentally the mentally ill are looked at in terms of being exonerated from such violent acts change. Let me look, take a look at the reference. Um, public outcry over the verdict led to the Insanity Defense Reform Act of 1984. And of course, there was the, uh, the Brady Bill put in place to help prohibit people who have a history of mental illness from getting, from getting, uh, th these types of weapons. And of course, this is something we unfortunately have to deal with in our society because we want to all be safe in our society. And we also want the rights of the mentally ill protected so that they aren't treated unfairly and they are getting the type, the type of health, help that they need. You are listening to Victims to Victorious and today's show has been called Assassinations and um, assassinations and anniversaries, famous people and infamous events. And I just want to talk a little bit about the Brady Bill just before we have our time, uh, just before time is up. And one of the, the tenets of public health is that legislation can, in fact, put in place laws that protect people from the epidemic of gun violence. The Brady Bill was passed February 28, 1994, and the full name of it, um, I did a Google search, and it came up this way in the Google search dictionary, the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act 
often referred to as the Brady Act or the Brady Bill, is an act of the United States Congress that mandated federal background checks on firearm purchases in the United States and imposed a five-day waiting period on purchases until the NCIC system was implemented in 1998. And it was effective February 21st, 28th, 1994. And actually, Bill Clinton signs the Brady Act, and it was enacted by the 103rd United States Congress. I want to thank you for listening today to Assassinations and Anniversaries, this segment on Victims to Victorious. Please support us on Black Talk Radio Network. You can go to Black Talk Radio Network. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, on Air Angel, and we'll see you next week.